0: Welcome back to There Will Be Movies, this is a podcast looking at 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade, we are in volume 3, still 1990 to 1999, this is episode 57, Groundhog Day, welcome back to you though, no I'm not going to do the joke, Um, (laughs) my name is Matt Waters, I'm joined by Ben Phillips, Ben did you wake up and live the same day today as you lived the day before?
1: It is cold out there. (laughs)
0: Sure. Okay, get this.
1: I you do the whole thing. If
0: you, you do what you want. Um, That's
1: right, woodchuck-chuckers, it's Groundhog Day.
0: <laughs> Over to Gobbler's Knob. Great name. Great name. Fantastic name. Great name they didn't think all the way through. Um...
1: <laughs> no, they did. They 100%
0: bought it all the way through. Uh, yes, so, released February 12th of 1993, which my five seconds of research tells me is ten seconds after real-life Groundhog Day. Ten um, seconds? Ten days. Ten seconds of research ten days after... <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> we can do it again! It's Groundhog Day! Released February 12th, 1993, which ten seconds of research tells me was about ten days after actual real life groundhog day which is a real thing i guess i knew but yeah just to really see it as a real thing
1: is quite a trip yeah every february second yeah they, like different tv channels will play this in full even in the uk where like groundhog day is not a thing because this is <laughs> very much a holiday in states in america where there is snow
0: pennsylvania and others and others <laughs> I think it's a big deal in Pennsylvania and they they do it in other northeastern places and parts of Canada as far as I know again ten seconds of research
1: people in the UK snow just comes when it comes yeah
0: maybe it'll happen at Christmas more realistically it'll happen sort
1: of January February April April time April time is the new yeah
0: (laughs) shut the country down and then we'll have a red hot like May and a red hot October because the world is exploding Um, thanks, Elon. Uh, yeah, so, (laughs) uh, directed and co-written by Harold Ramis. You may have seen films directed by Harold Ramis, starring Bill Murray before. They're quite good, but his only 90s fair worth talking about would be this, and then you've got Multiplicity and Analyze This. Yeah, no, no, we
1: need, we need to have a full time about Analyze This. (laughs) Robert De Niro, Billy Crystal, Lisa Kudrow in a Kenneth Monum. Written movie. And yet, <laughs> not very good. I mean, it's not grand Day. Like, So, so yeah. my my first statement, laying my cards on the table, this is it you pick, hence why you're yeah. hosting this.
0: Yeah, if that wasn't clear, the format of the show is you host it if you picked it, and then once we both picked, we haven't gotten to yet, because this is a weirdly <laughs> split volume.
1: But yeah, I did pick I it. Could, I could have claimed this as one of my favourite movies of the decade. I think it was on various versions of the list. Yeah. This is my favourite comedy of the 90s. Yeah? Like, I do not think there is better comedy from the 90s than this Um, one.
0: I will direct you to the year that James Carey released The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura in the same year. All three of those movies are are worse than
1: Groundhog Day, yeah. (laughs) Are all worse than Groundhog Day, and also one of them is very transphobic. Yes.
0: Yes, it is. Hmm. Yeah, that is true and inescapable. Um, yeah, you know it, it's Bill fucking Murray, man. To to quote Woody Harrelson in Zombie Land, um, and that's literally one of my notes. I think I have five headings, and one is Bill fucking Murray, a titan, and for me the best of his '90s work. Uh, he, if we get to the '80s, he
1: will crop up again. Are you are you not a big fan of like Kingpin? Uh, I I like Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, so, I, so I said to a friend uh, when I watched this movie on, on Sunday night, I was like, "Is this Bill Murray's best pure comedy performance?" Um. Like, like obviously this is this is kind of also the transitional point in the same way that something like Truman Show is the Jim Carrey transition point, where after this he starts looking for the more dramatic roles, and this is definitely that as well, where. Mm. If you read the behind-the-scenes stuff, Bill Murray was way more attracted to the philosophical questions at the heart of a movie about a man reliving the same day over yeah. and over again yeah. than the the comedy stuff, even though he completely nails both elements. And you see after this, yes, he still has huge comedy performances mm. uh, in his career. It is obvious that he kind of wants to do more dramatic stuff. And it, like this is a couple of years before he starts the Wes, a- Wes Anderson run. This is mm. before Lost in Translation. I, and I think that makes sense because, uh, and I and I guess
0: to sort of answer your question, I think it is kind of, if it's not the platonic Bill Murray, the pl- platonic ideal of a, a Bill Murray performance, it is right up there because you are marrying that innate. He is just inescapably a charming, funny man. I think if he tried his absolute hardest, he, he could not fail to charm you. <laughs> it's marrying that with, like, the the sort of second and third act of the movie... He, he gets incredibly depressed and is like... right, what do I do with all this time and what's the point? Am I a god? Let me try and kill myself, etc. And then, you know, we, we've we seen him do dramatic work... and and he is good at it. And this makes sense as, you know, hearing that... that, like, that's what attracted him to the movie... makes a ton of sense because... that is the direction he will go in. And, you know, sometimes... It's good to see him in just a straight-up, like, screwball comedy again. But, yeah, he he, he can do both. And uh, I think this shows that in spades. And, and, like, you know, he's the lead in a lot of stuff, but, like, this is really wearing a lot of hats. Or the same hat 30 times in a row, I suppose. Or, no, 30 different hats while everyone else wears the same hat. My metaphor has gotten away from me. However, <laughs> uh, he's excellent in this. Um, and just, yeah, you, you just you've got to pay
1: respect to the greats, really. And yeah, it, I, mean, I mean, realistically, the only comed- like, pure comedic performance in contention for this is Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And what makes Ghostbusters different to this is I mean, arguably what makes this movie more impressive is, as you said, like, he is the only person who gets to shift up his performance at all. Like, everyone else is functionally, they are living, they are having to do the same things over and over again where the wrinkle in every single scene is that... Bill Murray is going to do something different, essentially.
0: Yeah, Um, and I think think to make it work, you need rock-solid character actors and, and, and bit players to... You know, they're reading the same lines with the same intonation most of the time. They occasionally are reacting slightly different to a curveball he's throwing them, but for the most part, they're having to say the same stuff over and over and over again and it it's never boring because he makes it work and like they have to be solid you know they can't do too much or it'll ruin what he's doing and yeah like uh I, Stephen tobolowski as ned is is probably one of the, the better ones where it's just what a punchable guy and he does punch him <laughs> but yeah like even like the, the bed and breakfast owner uh is is excellent as well and like yeah, just the, all these little townsfolk who, you know, they're not all na- like there's there's not a ton of names in this movie. There, there's there's several people. It's like ah, oh, I know you, <laughs> you know, you make this movie today and it's got like twenty people in it who are <laughs> who are names to play the townsfolk and that would probably be worse somehow because they'd still focus and <laughs> I mean I feel we're a broken record at this point. They don't make just out and out comedies like this anymore. Um, and although you know we just acknowledge maybe that there is more to it than just comedy, but like you know that this was created for 15-ish million dollars, and it's just, yeah, we got Bill Murray, we got Andy McDowell, we got some character actors, off we go to <laughs> a shitty little snowy town, and Bill Murray's just going to be Bill Murray for uh, 90 minutes. You get in, you get out, it's simple, there's no explanations, it just is what it is, and they don't do that anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this, I've I've been thinking, whilst we've been editing like, the podcast and releasing the episodes we've done so far, I had this realisation, and it's, why are we that little bit more energised for this series than we were for the last one? Which isn't to say that we weren't discussing great movies for, for the 2010s, but there is something about this where, like, there's just it, it's just a lot more interesting to talk about all of the stuff to do with these movies at this point. Like, it's more interesting to talk about Bill Murray's career and, like, the arcs and the flows of it than it is to talk about a first-time director who had, like, a really good movie that made seven million dollars in the box office yeah
0: like we're we're bouncing around all over the place here we've already done it and like looking at the next sort of ten or twelve episodes it's gonna be a ride whereas the other volumes it's a lot of like Oscar Bay indie stuff like high drama like a little bit dour, I mean, you know, we throw in a Scott Pilgrim and a, and a <laughs> Superbad, something like that, but for the most part it was a lot of the same type of movie over and over and over again, and they're all good movies, but, yeah, it does get samey at a certain point, whereas here, you know, to go from Goodfellas to Science of the Lambs, to Boys in the Hood, to Point Break, to Death Becomes, A uh, Few Good Men, and now Groundhog Day, and then, uh, yeah, we've got some stuff coming up in the next few weeks, like, we are bouncing all over the place in terms of genre, and it's like... Yeah, the podcast has become a fun hangout zone almost. <laughs> so yeah, and yeah. It's,
1: just, it's just a different era where like, all of these movies are... I, 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 it's hard in the 2010s to say what's going to have the cultural resonance to stick around, mm-hmm. whereas for all of these movies, we haven't discussed a movie that does not have some impact on... like current day thinking and whatnot I I think
0: there's a real legacy to all of these like they've really informed a genre and like I you know there is no way Groundhog Day invented the concept of the time loop
1: but it is the platonic ideal of a time loop it's the
0: one yeah like everything since has been patterned on it um, including the fantastic Palm Springs which if we're still podcasting when I'm 42 or 41 or whatever we might talk about it I don't know I hope so, so I'm not podcasting in my 40s.
1: <laughs> so let's do this. Let's do this up front, because I was going to say this. Do you think Palm Springs is better than Groundhog Day?
0: Uh, they do very different things.
1: They do do very different things. And I think the, one, the, the only thing that I would say that I think Palm Springs is better than Groundhog Day is the comedic chemistry between Sandberg and Milioti is better than the comedic chemistry between yeah, like Murray Cl- and... Murray and McDowell.
0: Yeah, like Andy McDowell is here to
1: be like <laughs> generic Hollywood lady number seven. She's... She is. She is playing a romantic lead, and that, and she does it with spades. Whereas Kristen Bellioti is getting to stretch her wings.
0: Is she not arguably the lead? I mean, I well, she's not, but I don't know. In terms of the her emotional her. journey,
1: it's hers, not his really. But she does disappear for a good stretch of that movie. And she this does, is to say does. that I don't think Palm Springs is a great movie. I do think Palm Springs is a great movie. Yeah. I think I do think Groundhog Day gets into the the melancholy and the philosophicalness of it a bit more than Palm Springs does. I mean, I think because Palm Springs does
0: what Danny Rubin, the, the co-writer who, who came up with the story in the first place, what he wanted to do is start in the middle of X number of time loops, like, you start with the radio comes on and he predicts all the dialogue and he's clearly done this before, kind of thing. And that's exactly what Palm Springs does, like, Andy Sandberg is on cycle, God knows, 500, 1,000, no one knows. And then you bring her into to, and give her the exposition like that. Um, so it's like, you know, he's already... Had his his depressed moment, his triumphant moment, been depressed again, like so he's just at a different stage. It's on like a larger scale than Groundhog Day, which always feels quite a small movie. And like you know, I don't, I, I probably should have counted how many loops he does, but it's like you get the sense that Andy Sambo tried literally everything. And I'm not saying Bill Murray didn't try hard enough, but like you know, it is the simple, true love broke the spell kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It, I I I like them both. I I think Palm Springs has a more feminine touch because of when it's made. Um, that's that's fair. I I would agree with that. Yeah, and like you know, this is it's not the most. You know, you could do a lot worse for like misogynistic '90s movies, but there is still that level of that layer of like you know, <laughs> he uses his his knowledge to get laid. Rita, yeah, as we said, just generic love interest yeah, has and... no real character or drives of her own, really. Other and the the only time they come up is as a tool for Bill Murray to bang her. Kind of thing. Yeah,
1: and and I guess the 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 flip side, the the other thing I have to give to Palm Springs is Palm Springs does grapple with the idea that like someone using their ability of someone from another timeline is inherently yeah. Squicky.
0: Yeah, which they never address it. She doesn't bring up for a second because, I mean, he goes to great lengths to try and convince her, and she does seemingly believe him. She never once raises that question of, like, are you using this on me? <laughs> like, um, And that's, like, the first thing that she, she points out in, uh, in Palm Springs. But we we are a little bit off course. Let's, let's veer back ever so slightly. So... As I said, released February 12th, 1993. Uh, Allegedly, the year of the family movie. Again, ten seconds of research. Uh, Benjamin, why don't you talk about some of the best movies of 1993? And we'll see if it was the year
1: of the family movie. Uh, So speaking of family movies, we have uh, The Piano by Jane Campion. (laughs) Yeah. Schindler's List by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Bangers, every one of them. Three Colours Blue Mm -hmm. by... Crystal off Kieslowski. Yeah. Yep. Take Your Parents Naked. Naked by Mike Lee. Yes. Yes. Shortcuts by Robert Altman. One for the kids. The Age of Innocence by Martin Scorsese. Yep. Yeah. Good old Family Marty. Dazed and Confused by Richard Linklater. Yes. R-
0: R- Richard Linklater is for the children.
1: Uh, and the Night Before Christmas by Henry Selleck. I mean, you ruined it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I mean, so, the Wikipedia article does call it the year of the family movie. I think it was more of a year for the family to the box office, because you had Free Willy, Last Action Hero, Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: um, The movies I saw trailers for as a child and rented on VHS and whatnot, basically. (laughs) And the movies that were on TV a lot when I was a little bit older than that. Because, I mean, that's the thing, I definitely didn't see Groundhog Day in a cinema, but, like, I guess the trailers were out a lot and I guess it was on TV a lot because I, I fully understood the concept and, like, I feel I saw some chunk of it at some point, but, like, I was too young to I mean,
1: really... This this is a cable classic. Yeah. Like, even in the UK, this is just the kind of thing that you would... I, I don't even know when I first saw this movie or yeah. why I should first see this movie. It's just, it's a thing that I saw at a young age and left an, an indelible mark on me. Like, yeah. It's just, he was probably it, playing some lazy Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's so simple. Like It progresses in exactly the way you would think it does. It just sort of, you know, it establishes sort of the rules of the genre. Like, you spend a long time in the first cycle. The second one he is suspicious but accepting, just thinks, hmm, weird. And then the third one is when you get the freak out and you start testing the limits of it, and then <laughs> he lives like a king, and then he becomes incredibly depressed and then it all comes good in the end but yeah it just I think I think as I said that like they just sort of don't bother ever trying to explain how it happened and what broke it like you can infer all of that from just what happens in the movie but like it's just like you know it just happens and then at the end when it when the loop breaks he he's very happy about it and he asks Rita to move to Punxsutawney attorney and and that's it, and they just play in the snow and we go to the clouds as we started in the clouds. Credits <laughs> opening and closing to movies are very different these days as well. I loved a good long opening credits sequence in the 90s. So the idea came allegedly from vampires, and, and like thinking what would you do with your immortality and you're not bound by like the rules of morality and and, and stuff like that, and then marrying that with the idea of of like so many men never grow up kind of thing and they never escape adolescence and I, I, I don't know if I would say that Phil is I was gonna call him Bill Murray. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that Phil is I mean he's he's not like mega mature, but I wouldn't call him like really, really immature either. But like, you know, he's very full of himself. It's very like, you know, young men are full of you know piss and vinegar and like they think they're God's gift and all of this and you know his experience is here and actually legitimately trying to become a better person make him grow up so like yeah I guess just the opposite of what I just said he does grow
1: up in the movie yeah and it's just I don't, I don't know I don't know if it's growing up and more of just like a perspective change yeah yeah on, I mean I guess I guess through. he learns empathy a bit and like
0: or like I don't know when he's not trying is when he he actually. Because, I mean, he, he, you know, he starts, like, yeah, like, he drunk drives to get arrested, he he punches Ned, he eats loads of food, he robs a money truck, he gets laid, he fucks around, and then, you know, the challenge of Rita, that she's a slightly, (laughs) um, that she is, like, you know, just fundamentally not suited to this kind of manipulation, it takes so many tries, like... He moves too far. Fi- like he finally has sort of got there, but then he's like, "Oh God!" Like you know, it takes so much work to make you fall in love with me. Like we have to have sex tonight, or it's not worth it. And that's just not who she is and everything. And then it's once he's like resigned himself to like trying to kill himself, just straight up telling her, "Like, look, this is what it is. I'm a god, maybe. Like, I can do all of this." And once he's given up and stops trying to desperately bang, her, uh, is when she actually <laughs> forms that connection with him, and, and and we go from there, but, yeah, I think it's when he, like, switches off the... He's not try-hard, because he's, he's not really a people person, but, you know, the, when he stops trying to be, like, ring-a-ding-ding, I'm... Look at me, I'm folk honors, and just starts just trying to be an honest, earnest person,
1: then he has a much better time, obviously. I think this movie kind of charts... It's all, I mean, it's almost like five stages of grief, but not really, in that, like... Obviously, Murray is... It's almost like watching like a, a kind of transposition of Murray's career onto the <laughs> top of this movie. When the first hour of this movie is very much in the old Murray Will House of kind of like him being the manic comedic force at the centre of it, and then it slowly gets darker and darker as the movie goes along, as yeah. in like he's he's doing his like I'm the smartest man in the room and I can talk everyone for the first uh-huh. half hour, and then there's just a good amount of good physical comedy from him yeah. for that, like the second and a half hour with like the punching nip in the face, which is like probably something that <laughs> plays in my head so very often. Yeah, I mean, I think it all culminates in just the, the, the dejected way in which he walks down the stairs, unplugs the toaster, <laughs> and then throws it in with himself in the bathtub is probably the pinnacle of that or even like just the scene where he is driving the car and the, the groundhog is driving with him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he snaps and just... Yeah, just stops even trying to keep the That's ruse famous. up and everything.
1: And obviously so much of this is Harold Ramis knows how to deploy Bill Murray. hmm Like, probably better than any other director he's worked with. Like, obviously, Wes Anderson has has now worked with Bill Murray more often than, than Harold Ramis did. Mm. But fundamentally, like, the amount of things that they did together in the eighties and, and up to this movie when obviously this caused this huge rift between the two men, which which was not really papered over until just before Harold Ramus died in 2014. This does feel like the culmination of that first half of Bill Murray's career. And so much of that is Harold Ramus getting this performance out of him, even though it drives these two friends to to not talk to each other for twenty years. Yeah. Um, and like I mean you see it in the behind the scenes stuff where ramus gets a hold of this script from danny rubin completely rewrites it that's what gets bill murray on board Mm -hmm. but then bill murray pushes more to bring danny rubin back in so they hire danny rubin again to rewrite the script he hates working with bill murray because bill murray is quite lazy or (laughs) very like last i when he's like writing these scripts so ultimately Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis are then rewriting the script on set every single day yeah. and it sounds like this movie must have been a complete and utter pain in the arse to make Yeah, and and that lends it some mythos in terms of the fact that obviously we don't want to condone people being arseholes, I don't think people were assholes on this movie but this is very much probably big creative egos butting heads against each other and making things more difficult than it should do, but that friction is creating something special. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, like, everyone knows the stories of how Bill Murray is a very prickly person to work with. There's obviously the, the, the story about Lucy Lou going around at the moment about working on Charlie's Angels with him, and I don't think anyone would say that Bill Murray is an easy person to work with, but I do think he has that thing where if he respects you, yeah, then he's going to make your time easier.
0: I think I think he's just perpetually above most things he's in. So it's like you're on my time, I'm not on yours, and like he just drifts through the world, being a walking anecdote kind of thing, and all these legendary stories you hear of of people running into Bill Murray and him like crashing weddings and all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, it's all very hilarious and charming to hear about from one perspective, but then when it's like, right, we're literally losing money every. I was gonna say millions a day, but it was a different era, so <laughs> thousands a day. Um you know, we we must get this scene filmed. Logistics are what they are, I'm sure it's fucking infuriating. <laughs> so yeah, I mean Yeah. It's 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 a real shame
1: that this so, did what it uh, did. I told so I do want to ask, obviously we've said like this might be Bill Murray's best comedic performance, but like where in the timeline of you watching Bill Murray movies do you watch this?
0: <sighs> Very early, probably. I mean, because I mean, some of his stuff would have been too like adult. Yeah, I wouldn't have been allowed to watch like Stripes and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And Ghostbusters is like more adult than most people remember. I think. Probably would have been tangentially aware of what Ghostbusters was without actually having watched it. So yeah, it was probably really early on in, in my uh, my Bill Murray. Over. I bet I saw Space Jam first though. <laughs> <laughs> he is good in Space Jam. Of course he is. He's Phil Murray.
1: <laughs> but I guess that's the thing, is like this obviously he has other movies that could be shown to children, but this is probably his most child-friendly work. Um... Which is impressive considering it's a movie which features a man repeatedly committing suicide. <laughs> I mean, that's so easy to
0: edit around, probably, I don't know. Like, you can, there's probably, like, a 45-minute, 50-minute cut of this, and then you pad it back out with adverts. <laughs> and you just keep all the whimsical stuff. I, I, It was just, it was a different time, wasn't it? There's so many small things. Like, even something as simple as him doing weather reports, he's just wildly overqualified for, and, like, he makes it so engaging, and it's like, you know, he, I don't know if he's improvising that, or, like... Just yeah.
1: Every time, every time I watch that scene,
0: yeah.
1: I'm sat in my head going, "Like, has he learned how to do the weather? <laughs> yeah. Like, are they moving the map around the actions that he's doing, or did he actually learn how to do the weather? Yeah. And then I realise <laughs> that the screens are like offset and off yeah, camera, yeah, so that yeah. you can like see what you're doing on the green screen whilst you're working. But, like, every time I watch that scene, I, there's a split moment before I remember that he's probably just looking at the camera and, like, adjusting <laughs> his position based on that. I'm like, yeah. man, did Bill Murray, like, but it shadow would... a, a, a weatherman for, yeah. like, several weeks to figure out how to do it?
0: But it would be believable. It's like, it, it suits his personality that he would just be able to pull out some very niche skill that he mastered at some stage. And it's like, yeah, well, I can do that. Bye. You know, both in the studio and then like mockingly doing it in in the for the, for the lady in the in the bed and breakfast and everything and yeah, just little things like that and like making fun I mean, of of Andy McDowell's groundhog impression, his his charmingly bad Clint Eastwood, you know.
1: His his bit as the weather for the B and B lady is <laughs> incredible. Like yeah. I love everything about it, just from. Her asking what the weather's going to be like, him going full spiel, and then going, "Oh, did you did you not want to talk about the weather, the thing that is my career?" <laughs> uh, like, he can only do it condescendingly. Yeah, yeah. Which makes it all the funnier that he's wrong ultimately about what the blizzard's going to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, the amount of times that you go through the movie of him going like, "There's no blizzard. The blizzard's not going to hit here. It's going to dissipate. It's going to blow off to the blow off further to the east. It's mm. fine."
0: And then he's snowed in. Yeah, um, yeah. Just at, at any moment, if it's getting too bleak, you can just turn to him for more comedy and like and more charm. Like even when he's being a, a grouch or when he's fucking up in one of his, <laughs> you know, one of his learned loops and and stuff like that. And I do like you know when he's being Clint Eastwood and he he, he sees. Um, I forgot her name is it Nancy um it is Nancy yeah, Nancy's just... the
1: one, Nancy's what the they run into, and I'm yeah. not sure who he's with, but he's I think he's with like a waitress or I, I don't know, but yeah, he's like,
0: oh, my old fiance and <laughs> stuff like that, all really good. This scene where he just tells her like, yeah, I can do this, and like I feel we see this kind of thing a lot in various genres where like you know character tries to prove insane abilities or whatever. And it's it's always way more over the top than this. this. It's done in a much more understated way where he just walks around just saying things about people and they're just like, yeah, and they smile. And it's not like... No, he's, like, flipping out. He's not, like... I mean, I guess there's that one where he says that she's getting cold feet about the wedding, but it's not like he was like, oh, and she's sleeping with his brother or whatever. <laughs> like, and, it, and there's no, like, he's a god kind of thing. Um, it's just what? done in this really matter-of-fact
1: way that makes it more charming that's what i really appreciate about this movie is it belies the idea that it has to go big to make things more amusing like it just like i don't know i'm think i'm thinking now of palm springs where (laughs) palm springs is sort of kind of in real time once the two of them are together obviously there is like Montages and stuff like that to show, that, like, they are going through a lot of loops as they're learning about quantum physics and mechanics <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, like, the, but the, but once you are with the movie, you are functionally with them for like most of their experiences. Yeah. As they are experiencing this, whereas this movie, presumably, there are just you go from one to one to one, and there are wild expanses of time. Yeah. Which it just skips over, like you miss. It, it just kind of goes like what are some interesting funny times that we can show off what he's doing so here's a couple of the beginning here's a couple where he's depressed and then it goes like cool and now we're going to have it be where he has met and spoken to and absorbed information from every single person in this town
0: yeah like <laughs> he must have at some point struck up a conversation with every single one of them like it's possible you know he can't have gotten them all in one go. Like, one, some of them would have left before he could speak to them, and like stuff like you know, saving all those people, or or like you know, helping them out nearer to the end, and mastering the piano one lesson at a time, and the simple stuff like when he fucks up and he says the wrong thing to Rita, like it's like they, they just take us to the next loop, and it's like, well, what did he do from there? Like, did he did he carry on and learn as much as he could? Did he go off and? has he got like a mental thing of like speak
1: to a different townsperson every day no matter what happens with the rest of the day and, yeah so yeah. so have you have you done any research into like how long people say the loops last no so 10 seconds i told you 10 so 10 years is i think wow what harold ramus has said okay and people have done the maths on it like some people have given obscene lengths of time for like because obviously there are, like, little throwaway lines in the movie. Like, how long would it take someone to become mm. a concert pianist?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, And there's, like... And obviously that would take a long time, but obviously he is just going... Every single day he kicks that poor little girl <laughs> out of the room and gives a stupid amount of money.
0: I do like that even when he's trying to become a nicer person, like, you know... Well, I guess he doesn't do it, but... but. Yeah,
1: that she gets tossed out of her piano and, lesson. And even my favorite payoff to that is when he finally does unveil it at the at the party at the Groundhog Day party, where he's like playing the piano on top of it. The teacher is to the guy like, she, "He's one of my students," and like presumably he either lied to her and said like, oh, "You taught me as a kid," mm. or he walked in and said, "I need some lessons." Fakes being banned for a little bit, and then suddenly became <laughs> yeah, yeah. like an incredible piano virtuoso.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, the, they do say the thing of, like, oh, there'll be 33 more days of, of winter or, or something like that if it sees its own shadow. But, like, it's got to be, you know, thousands of hours, you know, <laughs> many, 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 possibly
1: years worth. Yeah, so there's, I mean, so so there's all kinds of theories about it. So, obviously, like, other lines in the movie which are, like, implying he's been here for a long last time are, like, when they're playing cards on the bed... And Rita kind of goes, like, how long does it take you to become good at that? And he, yeah. like, says, like, oh, you know, 12 hours a day. But I think he says four hours, four hours a day. Four hours a day. But it's, like, just the amount of boredom you'd have as well from, yeah. like, no one else moving on with their lives. And so, like, whilst you can yeah. learn about this stuff, every time you have a conversation with those people again, they are resetting and presumably just repeating the same information to you. And yeah. to get anything deeper, you probably do have to do the slightly squicky thing of kind of, like, using or weaponizing information that they've given to you yeah. to, to get into their trust. But obviously like so the fundamental thing is people have said that like this is based off of the Buddhist idea of to take your soul to the next level it takes ten thousand years of kind of working on yourself and meditation and whatnot. So like obviously it does not take ten thousand years for him no. to go through this loop.
0: A Bodhisattva who Bodhi from Point Break is named after. Sorry, carry on <laughs>
1: But I do think, like, more than ten years is reasonable to say how long he spent in this, which is... yeah.
0: I mean, (laughs) if if you consider that, like, the the, the genesis of the idea was vampires and immortality and, you know, I think they talked about Superman and and Lois Lane and, and stuff like that. And we see it play out in fiction all the time. Any kind of immortality story, it's like, you know, everyone you love will die around you. You will be alone. You will wander the world. And, like, yeah, it does all make sense then that you know, while, I'd imagine, like, the studio were like, oh no, it's just a couple of weeks, it's just everyone you see, and it's like, well, there's no way that could possibly be true. Like, the entire intent of this story was, it's such a crushingly long time, and, like, it would probably take you quite a while to even consider suicide, and then he clearly tries many types of suicide, <laughs> so, like, yeah. Uh, and, like, you know, stuff like futilely trying to save the old man, and, and stuff like that, and...
1: Yeah, just. I mean, yeah, how often does he try and save the man? Like, yeah. does he drive himself insane trying to save this one person yeah. and, like, change the course of history? Um, I mean, like, and presumably, I mean, I don't know, maybe Punxsutawney does have, like, a, a huge seedy underbelly of drugs and alcohol <laughs> and stuff like that. But, like, does he do what they do in Palm Springs, where they just take copious amounts of illicit substances? I mean, when they when
0: the guy points out no hangover, I mean that that like clearly puts like a little twinkle in his eye and it's like yeah, and like, you know, he he he's, he is eating all the donuts and then and,
1: and smoking the cigarettes and stuff like that and I mean that angel slice cake moment where he shoves the entire slice of cake in his mouth is <laughs> a wonderful piece of movie <laughs> history.
0: Yeah. That walked so that Will Ferrell shoving spaghetti and chocolate into his face in elf could run. Mastering the ice sculptures and, and stuff like that and like yeah, I mean, I I said to you up front, like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for a length of time because it's just, it's fucking funny and Bill Murray's fucking good and it, like, defined an entire, it, re- it rewrote the rules on, like, movie and TV time travel, but beyond that are we just going to say all the things that happened? But, like, I think what gives it that lasting legacy, I mean, obviously it's, like, an all-time, like funny man performance, but I think it is that sort of existentialism, and, like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> both, yeah both not taking itself too seriously, but then also not, you know, mm-hmm. daring to be serious for, you know, several minutes at a time kind of thing. They don't panic and, like, quick, do a joke. I think that's what makes it something to revisit over and yeah. over, ironically.
1: I think, fundamentally, this is a movie which, because it gets out of its own way because it doesn't make its rules explicit because it doesn't say how long he does these things for it allows you to put a lot of yourself Mm. onto it
0: yeah and like you know it's just it's always an interesting thought exercise and like i think the challenge of the genre and i think something palm springs did was like hey here's just a whole bunch of really weird shit that like it isn't a grand spectacular idea it's something as silly as let's go into a random bar and do an elaborate dance routine that we've mastered together like and just you know what would i do if i could do this without consequence and, and you know what weird skills could you master and it turns out everything ice sculpture
1: carving yeah i mean i mean obviously this movie is so thoroughly influential not even just on time loop mm. things which obviously like you can like it, it's it's influenced source source code it's influenced edge of tomorrow the happy death day movies palm springs we talked about at length mm-hmm. but it is fundamentally also the template for the let's get a well-known comedic actor and make them do something like make them put them into like a fancy conceit and have them evolve and learn from it. like make it a moral lesson kind of thing like as jim carrey does with liar liar Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even as, like, Adam Sandler doesn't click. And I don't think... And 50
0: first dates, kind of, except he's on the other side of it. But,
1: like, (laughs) I don't think either of those movies work in the same way. No, no. But they have the template of this movie that does make them work on, like, a basic emotional level. Yeah. That I think is able to trick people. And I think it's because the idea of this grumpy curmudgeon... Mm-hmm. learning to better himself is a potent storytelling thing. Yeah. Because, obviously, it's done so well in this first outing. And so few movies, since... I, again, I do think if we're talking movies which are vaguely fantastical, based off of the chemistry and the charisma of a central star, Truman Show is probably the only movie mm. in that vein that like works yeah. at the same level as this one.
0: Yeah, where you, like, you really desperately feel for the person. Yeah. Ah, oh, Truman Show.
1: What a great movie. Maybe we should talk about it in a few weeks. Um. <laughs> Maybe we <it> should. <laughs> but like, I mean, like even, even something like Edge of Tomorrow, which yeah. obviously is not this at all. Edge of Tomorrow, I think, is a great fun movie, but Tom Cruise is not someone who can carry that and the romance angle of that movie is bad. Awful, I would say. <laughs> it's become harder
0: to connect with Tom Cruise on a sympathetic level with every passing Year, decade, whatever. Like once upon a time, yes, but the days of that are behind him, and he, I think he just needs to lean fully into mania these days, which is why it's like yes, Mission Impossible and Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I mean, obviously he makes other stuff, but yeah, like
1: yeah. Um, have you, have you seen Happy Death Day? I haven't. I wanted to. They're good. They're good and funny, and I mean, especially the second one. I think they lean. The second one in particular leans more into the comedic stuff, which I think makes it work that much better. Like, obviously it's a horror movie, but like it's having fun with it, and it's yeah, arguably yeah. having like maybe a bit more fun than Palm Springs was.
0: Yeah.
1: Even. Wow. Okay.
0: Palm Springs is pretty fun.
1: <laughs> you know what's also pretty fun? What? The Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask. <laughs> Inspired,
0: of course, by Groundhog
1: Day. I mean, I have to imagine like. I mean I'm not saying that like that it's a direct influence. I'm just going like like how influential this is that it's going across so many different mediums and stuff like that. And yeah. you can see the small town DNA and the getting to know all <laughs> the individual people in a city doing the and, perfect like, run. Yeah, Culminating exactly. <laughs> no, in the big party. Yeah. Okay.
0: No <laughs> oh, yeah. That absolutely fair. Sorry, that's really fucked me up. I'm now imagining Bill Murray uh, fighting. As, as Link. Yeah, in the little green outfit and everything. So,
1: all right, so I, I do have one thing. So, obviously, yeah. like, we, we've said that, like, there are other movies that lean into, like, the, the emotional element of this. And, obviously, the other half of the emotional element of this is Andy McDowell. And you've said that, like, you think she is functional in this movie. She yeah. does what she needs to. Like... Really early on in her career. Yeah. Like, at this point, probably the, the, the biggest role that she's done is her role in Greystoke, The Legend of Sarzan, and then Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah. I, I mean,
0: I guess that helps keep the budget way down, but I guess just... But then, but then, obviously, like, the year
1: after this... Yeah. Four weddings. Four weddings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We... Which, which I feel takes her to, like, another level. yeah. I I guess she hasn't
0: done as much as as, as her name would uh lead you to believe. I, I guess it's just like the iconic like she's done so many like adverts and and like, you know, product spokesmany stuff. Like I knew who she was and I'd
1: like never seen a movie with her in it kind of thing, other than the Groundhog Day and I think because she is kind of like the platonic romantic lead for the early nineties movies. Like when, when your one two punches Groundhog Day and Four Weddings at a funeral, yeah. like <laughs> like you are just that is your image yeah. ultimately. And not to disparage her obviously, but like she hasn't had a riveting career. Like, Sorry, she's, she's in Magic Mike XXL.
0: So oh, good in Magic Mike XXL. For oh, fuck's sake. How many more interesting people are gonna, am I going to find out are in that?
1: Ma- like Magic Mike XXL is probably the, <laughs> the, the quintessential, the sequel is better than the original movie of the 2010s. Really? Okay. Ma- Magic Mike XXL is a joyous movie, <laughs> okay. and I can sit and watch many of the dancing clips from that film like whenever they come up on, on I mean, it.
0: Is it possible to top uh, Joey in, in, in the convenience store? with the bottled water and the cheetos
1: i mean that is great there's also channing tatum <laughs> dancing around uh to to pony at the beginning of the movie i mean that's in both is, of them but it is but like obviously in this one he's obviously he's doing like grinding and so like, oh he's... with
0: the with the saw yeah yeah
1: i think i've seen that
0: yeah
1: oh good stuff welcome to our magic Mike podcast um <laughs> Regretting not putting Magic Mike down for no, but like, yeah, so that's the thing. Like, that's sort of her, where her career ended up. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. She, now she shows up every couple of years and she does something interesting. Like she's fun in Ready or Not, the horror movie from a couple of years ago. She bizarrely replaces Taylor Lautner in Cuckoo. Wait, what?
0: <laughs> who, in ter- who in turn replaced Andy Sandberg, right? Yes.
1: Uh,
0: what? <laughs> is it supposed to be the same person?
1: No, it's not the same person. Right. So so Taylor Lutner is Andy Sandberg's son. And then I right. think... Oh, God, who does, who does she play?
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do they attempt any kind of, like, passage of time? Or are they just like, yes, he... This man, who is clearly about 32, has a, like, 22-year-old son. Uh,
1: yes, that is exactly how it goes. Brilliant.
0: Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our Cuckoo podcast. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Uh, I just think, you know, it came with the territory at the time, like there weren't meaty roles available for women in in I mean this is fundamentally a, a vehicle for Bill Murray, so nobody
1: really has like a terrifically fleshed out character. But it's yeah, just I mean I mean it's it's the same thing as the Truman show where like yeah. who is the female lead in the Truman show? <sighs> the 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 wife. Yeah, but what's her, what who what's the actress? I don't remember, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Laura Linney is the one. But, but, that, but that's the point I'm saying is like yeah. when you are acting against someone who is so outsizedly big like yeah. Bill Murray is in this or Jim Carrey is in the Truman Show like yeah it kind of is a get the fuck out of the way like if you can you can maybe steal one or two scenes like Stephen Tobolowsky does mm-hmm. but even even like Chris Elliott doesn't get to steal any scenes. No, not really. No, like Chris Elliott is playing the straight man, which is yeah, bizarre to think. Exactly, like... yeah, that <laughs> he's known for such manic, weird
0: roles. Uh, now, yeah, they're all they're all props. They're all they're all toys in Bill Murray's toy box, and it's like, off you go, play off these people. Like, you know, he he queer baits Ned at one point after punching him out. Um, that one's quite good too. Ultimately, ends up buying all the insurance off him. Although, if that's the day he broke the loop, he's actually going to be stuck with that bill. I just realised after yeah. watching the movie, however many times. Yeah, didn't think that one through. Oh well, maybe he can cancel it. Maybe he stole from the bank that that day. <laughs> yeah, maybe he always steals from the bank to fund his random
1: adventures. How how well did you react to Michael Shannon's cameo? Did you even realise it was Michael Shannon? Shannon?
0: Portray the newly film. Oh my god. Right, no, no. Well, you can hear for the first time how well I reacted to Michael Shannon's cameo. Um, You know what? I had a weird moment where I was like, that's obviously, the movie's obviously too old for that to be Bill Hader, but is that Bill Hader's voice? And I looked up and was like, no, it's some dude. And no, it was Michael Shannon. In his first on-screen film role. Excellent stuff. We all have one, and some people's is Groundhog Day somehow.
1: Apparently, like, every... Obviously, you can see it in the diner scene, but they said so many scenes in that diner, but every actor had to be on set to make it feel authentic.
0: Yeah.
1: Which, that just makes me stressed out, to Mm -hmm. think, that, like, like, even when you're watching the scene where he's crossing the road to go see Ned, and it's the same extras in the background every single time, like, imagine... That is just your job on the movie, is to be permanently in the background of one scene, but knowing that the scene is changing around you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they will never feature you, (laughs) but you are
1: vitally important. That's what Michael Shannon did. He's in every single time they did the diner sequence, but his only speaking line is at the very end when him and and Hinden Walsh announced that they got married. Right, okay. (laughs) But yeah, just random michael shannon the scariest but most lovable actor in hollywood
0: yeah he is intensely like every time i see him play somebody nice or funny i'm like is this a trick like when's he gonna just murder somebody legit on
1: camera furious to have been in man of steel but that's that's fair a a genuinely terrifying role in shape of water i'm also now looking at his like credits he was in nine films in 2016 he works a lot (laughs) he does was one like, of them premium rush. Uh, in two thousand sixteen. It wasn't. Oh, good in that. But though. like he like he raps on on Boardwalk Empire and is just like, I'm just gonna do supporting roles in lots and lots and lots of movies.
0: Yeah. Gets around does old does. Michael Shannon. Just like Phil Connors got around punks the tourney. Um it is really nice that he just I mean, on some level is it a bit egotistical. He basically hosted himself a little party. Like he did the perfect run, you know. He saved everybody. He was nice to everybody. He made all the connections. Uh, he he one hundred percented the game, and they all just one by one shower him in praise. And then Rita is just just wet for him, <laughs> uh, fundamentally changing her character a little bit. But hey, and and I I do like that she puts it down to like oh because he's covered this thing for multiple years, and it's like, oh, you're only ever here one day a year, but all these people just really, really have warmed to you.
1: And it's like, oh, you have no idea. You like, the movie never goes back and says, like, and he saves the old man's life. There's still that tinge of darkness where, like, even though he's got the perfect run, he hasn't. Yeah. There's certain things that are, like, unachievable to him. And, like, I, I do think that the, the old man dying is the thing that kind of flips the switch on him, which is, like, yeah. everyone has a set time, so why don't I... Use my gifts to make yeah exactly. everyone's time slightly better. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and like that they explain it to him as like he was just old. It was just his time, kind of thing. Of like, oh right, okay. I mean, no matter what I do, some stuff is just always going to happen, and the, the all is lost moment. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, they wake up in the bed, and apparently that was a point of contention about whether we should be wearing the same clothes or not. And are we giving the game away? And it's like, I mean. The runtime will give the game
1: away, I would think. But um... I, I actually will I watched this with my partner, it's been a while since she'd seen it. Mm. She sees him have the perfect run. Yeah. Sees him like have the romantic evening with Rita. And then when it's him lying in bed and I got you babe starts playing again, she let out like a huge like, oh no. Like, <laughs> like like he hadn't done it. And then obviously then Andy yeah. McGow comes into frame, It's like it does work as, like, that, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a it's a nice little fake-out that keeps you on your toes for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I, just, I, I just gather that,
0: like, it I mean, it seemed everything on the set was, like, some kind of argument or, <laughs> or whatever. And like, you know, it, it is bleak to hear all of these, you know, these, these movies that we celebrate as, like, harmless, light fun, like, like Death Becomes Her, were, like, such horrible experiences <laughs> for the people making them, and
1: it's like, yeah how it goes. Again, we don't want to condone people being assholes. No. But I do think some level of friction does lead to bringing out the best.
0: I think having to overcome adversity generally leads to good things, such as having five notes and ten seconds of research and trying to do a podcast longer than ten minutes, but I think we've achieved it. Thank you, Benjamin, for I mean, rescuing me. Do we, do we
1: want to do a, a couple more facts? Go
0: on, then. Whatever you got for me.
1: Uh, what have I got? I've got, like, so the weekend this movie opened, it was President's Day weekend in 1993, uh, opens number one at the box office with $14.6 million ahead of Somersby Yeah Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey yeah. Aladdin, which is a bit insane that that movie is still at number four after God knows how many weeks, $173 million at the domestic box office mm. uh, and Loaded Weapon number one <laughs> another classic of
0: 1993 and I just remembered you failed your assignment Benjamin you had to mention Demolition Man in the best movies of 1993
1: sorry Uh, Demolition Man was also one
0: of the best movies of 1993 thank you don't worry because when the podcast ends you'll just wake up and have to do it again and uh, maybe it'll be Smoother this time, and I'll
1: remember to ask you
0: about opening weekend at the start of the episode instead of at the end, but...
1: Uh, I mean, my, my original bit, if I'd hosted this episode, I would have legitimately ended the episode every 15 minutes and we done the intro. I
0: thought about it, and then when I did the first joke at the beginning where I started doing the intro again, I immediately just got sick of myself, so I was like, nah, let's not do that. But yes, I fully, going. I was gonna have, like, a, a timer on my phone and, like, X minutes in... <laughs> Welcome back too. There will be movies, blah blah blah. Um, but you know, never mostly because see. I
1: know you would have gotten sick of me doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's is true. Is why I would have done
0: it. I do get sick of things, but never you, Benjamin. We have a fun time here. At there will be movies, and I think we will continue to have a fun time next week if we make it there.
1: Instead oh, of they, probably... they tried to get Tom Hanks to play the Phil Connors role. <laughs> so I'm, now just, I'm now just scrolling through the Wikipedia. And Michael Keaton, both of them turned it down because they both thought that it was. Either two in their wheelhouse or two out of their wheelhouse. Sure.
0: I mean, right. I mean, Keaton had gotten out of his...
1: I don't know. <laughs> I can't go back to comedy. Uh. Chevy Chase was also an option. And I feel like Chevy Chase is the wrong type entirely for this. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it would have just entirely been the bit where he tries to get laid, but he would have done it on every single woman in the town. And there would have been like so much more slaps at comedy, which... Uh huh. I'd have gone sick of. Which you know you have to put more of that in for Chevy in season one of Community. Right. Are you done reading Wikipedia, or can I'm I done reading can Wikipedia. I wrap you this can, one up? You can tell us that we're talking about dinosaurs next week. <sighs> <For> fuck's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, next week we're talking about dinosaurs. Fuck you, Schindler's List. <laughs> um, in a in a in a decision that will be explained at length next week, we will be going back to the world of Death Becomes
1: uh, with the uh, special effects extravaganza that is Jurassic Park look if you've listened to our Boys in the Hood episode <laughs> yeah. do you really want us two very not Jewish people talking about the plight of the Jewish people during the 1940s what's your favourite dinosaur? What's
0: my favourite oh, I, don't, I don't know I used to have a favorite you have dinosaur a week a to
1: decide I have a week to decide okay I've got to come to the table with a favourite dinosaur
0: okay so I have one question for you now and I have another question for you next week for now the question is will there be movies uh, welcome, welcome back to enter the real world <sighs> there it is right go thank you favourite dinosaur goodbye everyone sorry this one was weird I did not so know and I did it for Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast looking at 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. We are in Volume 3, still 1990 to 1999. This is episode 57, Groundhog Day. Welcome back to you, though. No, I'm not going to do the joke. Um, <laughs> my name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, did you wake up and live the same day today as you lived the day before?
1: It is cold out there. <laughs>
0: Sure. <laughs> okay, give this. I can
1: do the whole thing. If you,
0: you do what you want. Um, That's
1: right, woodchuck-chuckers. It's Groundhog Day. <laughs>